just going to go in the right place today. Is that okay there? Can you hear me? Okay. Um, how many of you have never in your life needed help? Oh, we all need help, right? I need a lot of help some days. A lot. So, when you need help, you have to figure out where to get the help, right? So, and what kind of help you need depends on where you go for the help, right? So, if I need to figure out something to cook, I can look in my handy-dandy cookbook, and it tells me all kinds of things to cook and how to do it. The problem is I have two cookbooks that kind of look the same, and they have different recipes in them. And sometimes I want to make, I think it's chicken pot pie. And one recipe in one book is the one I like. But if I grab the other one and make the wrong recipe, it's not so good. So that's a problem. All right, let's say I need to fix something. I have my handy-dandy toolkit. And I've got all kinds of good stuff in here. But what happens if I don't know what to do with this? Hmm? I'll pinch my fingers. But what can I do to find out how to do this? I see it, it looks like it's broken. I don't know. I could ask somebody. Now, if I ask Ben, will he tell me how to do this right? Maybe he might. If I asked Carl, he probably would know how to work it, right? So, it depends on who I ask. All right, what else do we have in here? I want to make some crafts. So I can look in my handy-dandy book here, and it'll tell me how to make some crafts. Because there's a lot of directions. Some of them are kind of hard to read and follow. And you know what? I've also found sometimes when I do these, that there are mistakes in them. And it tells me to put a certain color someplace, and that's really not the color that's supposed to be there. That's a problem. And where, if you want to go someplace like Boston, how many of you like to go into Boston? No? <laughs> a couple of you? <laughs> well, Boston is a great place. Not anymore? Well, the problem with Boston is sometimes it's really hard to figure out how to get around in there. So a map can be really helpful, except you have to make sure you have the right map and a current map because they're always changing things. And maps are, are great. I love maps. I miss maps so much. So if I need help, I have a lot of tools, right? I have maps. I have books. I have tools that I can use. Even if I want to build something really big, I can look in this book about raising a timber frame. Think I can do it if I read this book? Probably not. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I can probably use some of the tools and probably figure it out, but it looks a little complicated to me. Um, first of all, I don't think I would have the time to do it. But, Yesterday, I was talking to a friend about a store. He was telling me about this really great store to go to to get kids' clothes. It's in Ware. And I said, oh, great. When's it open? He says, oh, it's open seven days a week. I said, oh, well, what are the hours? He says, oh, I think they're open every day from 9 till 5 or 6. I said, that sounds great. And so I 
I said, you know what, let's just double check. So I looked on the internet and I said, oh, that's nice. Their website doesn't tell me when they're open. Hmm. So I searched around and searched around and I found a site that said that they were closing at 4 o'clock. And I found another site that said they were open till 5. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so are they closing at 4 or are they open till 5? So we called them. And the person said, well, we don't open on days when it snows. Okay, but it's not snowing. Are you open? She said, well, we're open Tuesday through Sunday. Tuesday through Saturday, we're open from, I think, 9 to 4, maybe. Um, and Sundays, I think it's 10 to 4. Lady, you work there. You don't even know when you're open. <laughs> I was like, maybe I don't want to shop at this store. <laughs> but my point is, things that we have access to, oh, the other thing, sometimes I'm surprised nobody has said it. Just check it out on Google. Search it up. If I want to know how to sew or find my way around Boston, I just put in uh, Google Maps or whatever. If I want to know how to use a tool or how to cook something or even what I want to make for dinner, I can just say, oh, Siri, what should I make for dinner tonight? And she'll probably give me some ideas, right? But it's not always reliable. But there is one thing that is reliable. Our human helpers, they may or may not have the right information, but one person does, and that's God. And the Psalm scripture, I really love that one. I look to the hills from where my strength comes. But looking at the mountain doesn't give us strength. It's not the mountain. Yeah, the mountain might remind us that we have strength, but it's looking to God that gives us the strength. And I also like the part that uh, God never sleeps. Now, we all lost an hour of sleep last night, and I'll tell you, I'm going to feel it for a whole week. That one hour just throws me off. But God doesn't miss that. He, he stays awake all the time. And when we're struggling, when we need help, he's there. I think about that. I like to walk on the beach, and I like to see the footprints. And it reminds me of the, the story about the man or woman or child, whoever it is that's walking on the beach, and there are two sets of footprints going along. And then there's one place where there's only one set. And the person says, hey, you know, when I really needed you, where were you? You were with me all along, but then where were you when I was struggling? And the response is, that's when I carried you. And that's what made me think about the scripture. You know, we think we're in this alone. We need help all the time. Our resources aren't reliable. But we have one resource that's always with us. And when it's the toughest time, we're not alone. We may feel like we're alone, but we're being carried. And that's just amazing. So let's learn to trust and to rest in God's arms, because he's going to take care of us. He took care of those crazy Israelites that were demanding water. He gave it to them when they needed it. He gave them food when they needed it. He gives us what we need when we need it. Maybe not when we want it, but when we need it. And when we need him the most, when we need him the least.
he's there. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you that we are never alone, that even in our worst times when we need the most help, we're still your children and you still love us and you carry us through and you give us the strength to carry on knowing that we are safe in your arms. So help us to trust you. Help us to have faith that you will guide our steps and lead us the way you want us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that we can trust you even when we are walking through deserts where it seems like there's no water, that you are our life and you have called us forth for a purpose, every single person in this room and this whole congregation all together. We pray that we will hear from you today in Jesus' name. So it seems like this Lent, we're kind of looking at a couple of notable Old Testament people, but through kind of less uh, famous stories about them. So last week we talked about Abraham, and we talked about the call of Abraham, and we talked about how Abraham was nobody special until God called him, and he accepted God's invitation. He trusted God's vision enough to make it his own and go where God said. Abraham did not get every step right along the way. He, he went like God told him to do, and then he went over to Egypt, and he went into some uh, not trusting relationships, and he didn't get everything right, but he never forfeited his relationship with God because his relationship with God was not dependent on anything he did except have faith which is, as we discussed, trust, belief, the type of belief that does something that moves somebody toward God. Abraham's faith was not perfect. It wasn't fully formed. Nobody's is. But he continued to trust in God and move toward God. So this week we're looking at Moses, and I'm, we already did something like this, I think, with Abraham. Um, let's do this again. Tell me something about Moses. Okay, he was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. So a princess, essentially. Yep, and he was a Hebrew, but he was adopted by an Egyptian princess. Uh, what else? He grew up rich in the courts, and at the end of Deuteronomy, which tradition says he wrote, it says that Moses was the most humble man that ever lived. <laughs> um, there, that's a whole other sermon, probably. <laughs> You'll beat him at it? Okay. What else about Moses? Yes, he led his people out of Egypt. Okay, let's start there. But first, actually, let's back up a little bit. When God called him, God called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. What was Moses doing when God called him? Yes, he was a shepherd, literal shepherd. He had actual sheep, and he was walking through the wilderness and saw what? Right, this bush that was on fire that wasn't disintegrating, that wasn't burning up. Um, and God spoke to him through that. 
Did Moses want the job that God gave him? No, he didn't. Why do you think he didn't? You know it's going to be hard. That's probably the main reason. He might have, I don't remember if he said, I, I'm too old, but, but I do know he said that he can't, couldn't speak well. He knew those people. Yeah, to some extent. I mean, it's sort of confusing because he didn't, he was from the Hebrew nation, but he had been raised in the Egyptian nation, and he kind of knew them, but not from their perspective. So he was a little bit, uh, he must have come into this thinking, this isn't going to be very comfortable because these are my people, but I haven't had the same experience as they have. Um, did the people themselves want Moses to have this job? No. How do you know? Right. From the beginning, he, he spends all this time talking to God in this bush and saying things like, I can't speak well, but he also says, how, like, who am I supposed to say? What if they ask who sent me? And, you know, God told him who he was and, and all this stuff, but when Moses actually get there, got there, his fears were not that unfounded because the people were like, as Moses said, I'm, gonna, I'm here, God wants me to bring you out of Egypt, and they all said, yay, and then Pharaoh found out about it and made their work harder, and they all said, Moses, get out of here. <laughs> so Moses didn't really want the job, and the people didn't really want him to have the job, but was Moses called to the job? Yes. Okay. I think we need to cut the Israelites a little slack and keep in mind that at the time, Moses wasn't Moses, right? I mean, he was Moses, but they didn't know him as anybody special. We know him because he's been in the Bible for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and he's this great hero of the faith and, and all this stuff, and we have just tons and tons, of, like a huge part of the Bible is about him, but he was some guy that had been raised in the oppressor's court and then spent a whole bunch of time in the desert with sheep. And now he's supposed to flee these people. But whether the people accepted Moses' call from God, and frankly, whether Moses even wanted that call, he was called by God. He was called and anointed by God himself. So he goes into Egypt, and there are all these plagues, and finally the Egyptians let them out, and then they go through the Red Sea, and we get to... Exodus 17, and it says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. So, this is early in their journey. They are planning to go to this promised land, which is the land that God gave Abraham, that God promised to Abraham last week. Um, and they have not yet... Um, committed the act of unfaith that will cause them to go through the desert for 40 years. That comes later. So um, really it should take them 11 to 14 days <laughs> to get to their promised land. Um, they're not there yet. Maybe they're taking it a little slower. There's a whole lot of them. Um, but it's interesting. Here's something to keep in the back of our minds that just, I didn't write this down, but it just 
came to my notice through the service today. This is not the episode that keeps them from getting into the promised land, but other passages in the Bible use this episode as kind of the turning point. This is the place where that sets the tone for how the people are going to respond to God and to the leader that God has put in front of them. Um, and so in the psalm that we read in the responsive reading, which is kind of sobering, um, it says, for 40 years I was, this is God, the psalmist imagining God speaking, for 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, these are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. But the story they're referencing is this one. Not the one where the spies go into Canaan and say, oh, there's, those people are too big and we can never, we're doomed. That's not that episode. It's this one. And in Hebrews, this story also gets referenced with a reminder that the people, that generation of people did not get to go into the promised land. So this is an important story, even though it's not one that we tell all the time. Um, the whole Israelite community set out traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. So, tell me, how do they know where the Lord is commanding them to go? Yes. Fortunate people. They have something they can see. <laughs> they have a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. No other people of God since then or before then have ever had that. Lucky them. Um, but I think the reason why it's written just this way, so they're traveling from place to place, as the Lord commanded, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the implication is, God even led, this, led them to this place where there was no water to drink. Right? Why would God lead them to a place where there is no water to drink? He had a plan. Okay. God is waiting to see how these people are going to respond. The whole story of the, tra the journey from Egypt to the Promised Land is a story about God forming a people from slaves to an oppressive power both humanly speaking and spiritually speaking, to his free people with a new identity. That is the whole story. And so now they are facing, the, they're not facing the Egyptian army anymore. They've already made it through the Red Sea, but now they're facing a kind of normal human problem. There's nothing supernatural about this problem. It's, they don't have water. They need water. People need water to live, but God is trying to build a people of faith in the line of Abraham who trust him for everything they need, are not relying on themselves, but are trusting in God through faith. And so the question is, are they going to trust him? God has been leading them, and they have this pillar of cloud, and they have this pillar of fire, but I feel like in some way, that must have been, somehow Moses is still involved in the leading of them because they take their anxiety out on Moses. 
They don't say, there is nothing here saying, why is this pillar of cloud leading us to this place where there's no water? No. They quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses is the person that God called, God appointed, God gave the vision to, and so they are going to him. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? How is quarreling with Moses putting the Lord to the test? Right. Moses is clearly called by God. He's, not, he's clearly not perfect. We already know that he has done some not perfect things in his life, but he is the person that God has appointed to this place, and so what he says, he is, for better or for worse, he's the one that God chose to speak for him and to set the vision, and he set it, and so really, when they're quarreling with what Moses' leadership, they're quarreling with God, they're putting God to the test. Moses understands that no matter what his shortcomings are or were, no matter how much he didn't want this job, and this is still the beginning of the job. Poor guy. <laughs> he doesn't even know. He's got 40 more years of this. No matter how much he didn't want it, he has been specifically and specially called by God to discern God's intent for the community and to represent God to them specifically. So they have this pillar of cloud and they have this pillar of fire, but in some way, that's a little bit of a side note because Moses is the human through whom God is communicating to his people. And God, from the very beginning of creation, has always intended to communicate himself through humans who are made in his image. So we talked, um, or those of you that are in the We Are Baptist class, talked recently about the priesthood of believers. This is a really important biblical idea in um, and it's especially important to Baptists, and it's why we have a what's called congregational polity. Um, it's not just me or some denominational leaders that make decisions for our church. Everybody's involved. Every person who is a follower of Jesus, who has given their lives to Jesus and belongs to him, is a priest to the world. A priest is someone who represents God to the world, and our job is to represent God well to the people around us, including each other, and to, in that way, draw more and more people to God. And so, we're all priests, but every person has a different way that they represent God to the world. God did not make, we talked about this maybe a month or so ago, God didn't make us cookie cutters. He made us all different parts of his body, and so we all have different gifts. Every single one of us, we've all been given the grace of salvation, but we also have all been given a grace or graces, a gift, through which to represent God to the world, through which to be priests. So we're not all priests in the same way. Moses had been given a grace to shepherd God's people. First he was a literal shepherd, and then he was able to take those skills and become a spiritual shepherd to the people of God. But the people assumed he was one of them, which he was, but they also assumed he was just like them, which he wasn't. 
He wasn't more important than them. He wasn't more valuable than them. But he wasn't just like them. He had been given a specific role from God, not because of anything special about him, but because of God's choice. And so he asked the people, why are you fighting with me? Don't you know you're actually putting God to the test? Evidently, these people either don't believe that fighting with Moses is essentially fighting with God, or they don't care because the next sentence says, but the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Okay. People need water to live. It's scary. I'm actually, I haven't drunk enough water today. I tend to drink a lot of water. I didn't do it. I'm, I'm like, I knew I was preaching about this. You would, you would have thought I would have prepared. It's not comfortable to be thirsty. And if you have to go a period of time without water, I mean, a human body, a healthy human body can only go three days without water. So this objection about being thirsty is not a bad objection. It's not bad to have water. It's not bad to want water. But God, through Moses, has just delivered a people from slavery to freedom. And they are no longer to identify with their old life, but with God's life. And like we said before, this is one, kind of the first main one for these people, opportunity to trust God with their lives and to trust that God has been leading and working through Moses this whole time. They're not just complaining because they're thirsty. They were at the beginning. But now they're saying, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? They, uh, that statement shows, or that question shows, that they are doubting God, they are doubting Moses' leadership, and they're questioning the vision that God has to redeem the rest of humanity through them. They don't want it. They want to go back to slavery. In Morning Quiet, we were talking about the, the expression, better, better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Well, this is, in this case, it's kind of better the devil you know than the God you don't. They don't really know this God. They don't really trust this God. They do know what oppression in Egypt looks like, and they would prefer that. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. I don't think this is Moses being dramatic. I think these people were so opposed to where and how God was leading them through Moses to grow their faith and holiness that they are threatening Moses' own life. So this is going from we're thirsty to we want to go back and be slaves and we want to kill this guy. This isn't just about a basic human need. They have allowed a basic human need or concern to become bigger than God to the extent that they will get violent with the leader that God has chosen for them. So, the Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. This is an interesting verse. I, the more I do this, I, the more I notice patterns in 
passages, and so God is giving Moses a little pattern here. He says, go, take, take, go. Get out in front of the people. Deal with this directly. Take some other leaders that still believe in the game plan and who understand that you are God's point person for the community, the person God is communicating the vision for the people to. Take the sign of your authority and gifting as a shepherd through which God does miracles and accomplishes each step of his vision and go, do it now, go ahead right now. And then he gives Moses assurance. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa, testing, and Meribah, quarreling, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That last phrase shows us what's going on this whole story. The people are complaining about not having water, but really they're doubting that God has brought them there. They're doubting that God is, in, that God is working through Moses. They are doubting whether God is with them or not. Is God with them? Okay, so now I have a question. Is the Lord among us or not? How do you know? But we do doubt it sometimes. We have faith. Okay, so two weeks ago we had Teen Challenge here, and one of the young men came up to me afterwards and was so excited, and he said, I haven't ever come to this church before, but I can tell the Holy Spirit is here. He was so excited. And I agreed with him. This has been my experience since I, the first sermon I ever preached here was as a guest preacher in 2016, and there were a lot less of you here that time. Um, and after that, very shortly after that, Paul said, maybe someday you can pastor that nice little church in Southbridge. <laughs> and then I wasn't invited back to speak for another two years, and I just kind of blew it off, and I didn't know that you guys didn't have a pastor, and then I was invited back to speak, and Barb invited me to apply, and I was like, when Paul said that, I was like, no, no, and Barb invited me to apply, and I was like, no, no, and then, um, and then it just wouldn't go away, <laughs> that's kind of how God works with me, um, and so finally I said, okay, fine, I'll apply, I don't, I'm not really looking to be a pastor, but I really like this church, and I can tell that Jesus is here, and so I applied, and the church affirmed my call here, and I don't know who, how many of you were at the ordination service, but I have never been in a service like that, and God was here. And it had nothing to do with me or even with you, but it did have something to do with God calling this congregation and us together to do whatever he's planning to do next with us. The presence of God was testified to by both believers and non-believers during that service. So, it is not always easy for me to be a pastor, but I have, when it gets hard, I know God hasn't told me it's time for me to leave yet. I don't know that I'm going to take this church to the promised land myself. God might have that on heart for somebody else. But every time I think, can I just be done now? <laughs> um, God's like, no, this is, 
I called you here, and we're not done. People are being born again. People are dedicating their lives to God through Jesus publicly in baptism. People are dedicating, people who are dedicating their lives to Christ are taking steps to make their existing relationships more godly. I met with someone recently who said they wanted to get baptized, and I and they are ready to be baptized, but I was a little concerned because I knew that they're not currently living in a strictly biblical relationship with their significant other. I didn't say a word about that to them. They came to me later and said, by the way, we want to get married. God is working in people. This Exodus story, therefore, I believe, is for us. I am telling you, I have encountered this story every day this week, not just from the lectionary. It keeps coming at me. The psalm and this passage. We are not the people of Israel, but we are a community of people that God has called out of, maybe not slavery, but out of a less than optimal situation. Out of hiddenness, out of ineffectiveness, and out of decline. God is calling us out of that. And we don't have a visible pillar of cloud or fire to follow, which would be super great, (laughs) although I guess it didn't really help Moses in this case, Um, but we pray and listen to God, and up to this point, you have trusted me to listen to God, especially for the vision or direction of our congregation one step at a time, and I think we actually do have our own version of a pillar of cloud and fire, which is God has given us a pattern. Because every time I have sensed that God is inviting us to focus on a certain area of ministry, he raises up, it's not always right away, but he usually raises up one or more of you to bring the future, the focus into fruition. So, like it says in this passage, the whole community set out, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. Let me point out to you a couple of the places that we've been traveling to as the Lord commands. In 2019, I said, I believe that we need to become a praying church. And in 2020, God raised up Ron to start prayer on the spot. In 2020, I said, I believe that we need to have blended worship. We need to have some contemporary music here. But we also need to retain some of the more traditional hymns because that's part of our Christian history. And many of those are very biblically grounded. Um, And God raised up... Rand and Kathleen Bond and Tim and Sandy, and now we have Practicing Praise. In 2022, I said, let's foc- I believe that we need to focus on children and youth. And now we have a regularly meeting youth group that's small, but they have a, a meeting time now, and we have a Sunday school. Well, not today. That's another one. <laughs> we have one, a one-person Sunday school today. Um, at the very beginning, I said or we kind of discerned at the leadership retreat together in 2019 that this church could and should have a ministry of hospitality, but that we wouldn't be able to really do much with that until our church kitchen was rehabbed. And God provided through the generous donations of Kathleen Bond and then through a miraculous just generousness of everybody here and also our friends online. And now we have a church kitchen, and then he provided additionally through Nancy, and now we have a fellowship hall remodel. We have a much more hospitable place to welcome more people in from the community. All of this 
is ways that God has led and helped me to set a focus, and and people have just come, have just been provided. And then around August last year, I started saying, not necessarily in a big group, because I still wasn't really sure what I was thinking about this, but I said, I feel like the next thing we need to focus on is young adults. And all of a sudden, young adults started coming in from, I don't know, where. <laughs> and then we reached Massa and Meribah. Massa and Meribah is a place where it seems that, at least to some people here, we are in danger of not getting what we need to move forward. To the point that I think for some of us, uh, we're afraid that we're going to perish. I'm going to, Willie already knows, I'm going to talk about this. The twirling that has been happening here for about three months concerns making Lily a deacon. Lily is young. This is the this is the concern. Because this present stop on our journey is scary to some of you. You have been questioning whether God has brought us here, whether God is still among us or not. So, Lent is a time for confession. I am going to confess here to the extent that I have contributed to this. I ask for your forgiveness. I think the way that I have contributed to this is that I have been slow to bring this to an open con uh, congregational conversation. Um, there are some reasons for that, which I'll get to in a second. There was also a delay of the annual report. That is not one person's fault. There was a series of things that um, unfortunately made the annual report come out late, so people who would have been concerned about this didn't, maybe didn't get to know about it soon enough. Um, I, there's no, I can't cast any blame for that. It is unfortunate that that's how it happened. Um, there's also a little bit of unclarity about the role of the deacons. This is something that we should probably work on this year to tighten up what that role is and what that means. However, that question does not clear up the amount of division and twirling and frankly, awfulness that has been going on behind the scenes here. Why I didn't bring this to a public discussion before the annual meeting is because I didn't, honestly, truly did not believe it was going to be a big deal. And when some of you started expressing your concerns to me, some of you were agreed that we didn't want to make it a big deal, and others by that time, it was already too late. I didn't think it was going to be a big deal because I have been, to the best of my ability, as always, following the pillar of cloud that we have, which is our pattern. That God set with us in 2019. And I believe God said to me, we are focusing on young adults next. All of a sudden, here's a young adult who is willing to serve and who is qualified in faith and character. Ha 
having young adults in leadership will make this church more friendly for young adults, and we need that if we are going to survive. If we have to wander 40 years through the wilderness, we better have some young adults to make it to the promised land. I do not make decisions or even have ideas in a vacuum. I meet regularly with godly, Jesus-loving, theologically sound, Bible-reading pastors and spiritual directors for prayer, support, and advice. And every single person that I have told in that category that I have told about this has said, you want young adults in leadership if the church is going to survive and thrive. Every single one, no exceptions. No questions asked, even. When Lily came to mind as a potential deacon last fall, it occurred to me that she might be too young. And so I brought her, I suggested her to the rest of the deacon board, and at the time, all were unanimous in putting her forward for that role. That may have changed since then, but I was not told about it until afterwards, and so in good faith, from what was agreed on by the deacon board that this church voted in, that was the plan going forward, and because it wasn't a big deal for them, I did not believe it was going to be a substantive deal here. And that is why I did not bring it to the congregation for discussion. However, because it became a big deal, I should have, and so for that, I ask your forgiveness. Regarding young adults as deacons in general, there is absolutely nothing in the Bible that is against putting a mature teenager in leadership position, and there is a whole lot in the Bible that shows teenagers in much greater leadership positions than the deacon of Central Baptist Church on a board of other deacons. If God could call teenage Jeremiah to prophesy against the entire nation of Judah and kings, then maybe we need to take ourselves a little bit less seriously. When it first became clear to me that there were concerns about Lily's being a deacon, I took those concerns very seriously. I took them before God. I genuinely considered and prayed about whether I heard God correctly in putting her forward for this role. And I believed at the time that if the vote went in her favor or if the vote did not go in her favor, either way could be a growing and teaching experience for this congregation. I'm not saying that I believe that God told me absolutely 100% Lily has to be a deacon, the deacon's board. I think we could have handled this situation either way in a very godly way. But that is not what has happened. Since then, Lily's own character has shown through and she has handled the awareness that many of you are upset about her willingness to serve this congregation with much more grace and maturity than I've seen from most of the people on both sides of this, this issue who are older than she is, including some brand new. The quarreling and division that have occurred here over the last three months have not been godly. It has not been biblical. This is not from the Holy Spirit. And it has persisted in spite of the fact that the annual meeting happened a month ago and Lily was voted in by a clear majority 
and in spite of the fact that pretty much all of our sermons during Epiphany were about unity and not quarreling. Moses says, why are you quarreling with me and testing God? And the people said, why did you lead us here? Let us go back to how things were before. I believe that this week God has said to me, like he said to Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hands the staff with which you struck the Nile, and, I, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock. So, here I am, standing before you. And the deacons already knew that this was coming, so I did take some leaders. Some of you did not know there was an issue, and to you I say, blessed are you. (laughs) Others are glad that we have a very young adult in a position that will make our church more welcoming for other young adults, because we need them. Others are disappointed with how the vote went, but accept that it did and are willing to move on and allow time to tell if having Lily as a deacon was a good decision for her and for our church or not. But a few of you, until very recently, have been saying things to me like, this isn't over. Yes, it is. It's over. As of today, right now, in Jesus' name, for his sake, the quarreling and testing around this issue is over. Also, because I feel I need to say this because I think it's, I think they're here. To any non-human rulers, powers, authorities, spiritual forces who are present here and who do not willingly serve the Most High God, this church is God's church. These people are God's people. And in the name of Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, it is time for you to go for good. Get out of here. This place is covered by the blood of Jesus. His spirit lives here. And we have a call from God to bless each other and this town. In Jesus' name, get out of the way. We will consider, um, we're going to do a few things at the retreat on Saturday, but we will consider the biblical foundations for leadership at our retreat. In the meantime, Lily Dolan has been voted in by this congregation according to the regular policy of Central Baptist Church, to be a deacon of this church. It's time to trust the Holy Spirit and let God do what he is going to do among us from where we are now, even if we're sitting in a place where we didn't think there was any water. Just like when he provided water from the rock for the people to drink, even when they didn't trust that God or Moses had led them to that spot. Okay, I just struck the rock. We're almost done for today, but I want to make sure we have some water to drink, which is the good news of reconciliation with God and with each other. It is only by God's grace through our faith that we, me, you, any of us, can be reconciled. But that is the vision of God. That is why we're walking through this wilderness. More and more people of all backgrounds, all cultures, all ages, all life experiences being reconciled to God, and then 
through him being reconciled to each other, living out their own specific priesthood gifts to bless each other, love each other, and build each other up. Romans 5, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, not agitation, not quarreling, not testing, peace. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith. That's our one job, faith, trusting God. Into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. The Israelites did not glory in their sufferings. They would rather have returned to slavery than grow in the character of God. But we know Jesus for ourselves, and we can have a different perspective, even when God appears to have led us somewhere dangerous or frightening or risky. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Love, not testing or quarreling, scorn, pride, jealousy, any of those things. Love. And it's not just been dripped in. God's love has been poured out. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me and you. All of us were powerless, and all of us were ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? God reconciled us to himself when we didn't even want to be reconciled, like the Israelites in Egypt. Now that we are reconciled, how much more fully will our whole lives be saved in purpose and meaning and love and power through the life of Jesus as we live it out? Not only so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. Jesus called us all in different ways. And all we have to do is follow him. No need to test or quarrel. Thanks be to God.